0: But before that, um, before that, let me pray before I get into the Bible reading. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father. Let us come before Your Word that we may be guarded beyond distraction and unbelief. Consecrate and purify our hearts by the washing of Your Word, Lord. As we listen to Your Bible reading today and hear from Iggy's lips, Lord. Lord, through your spirit, please help Iggy preach your word faithfully. Help us to look to you with our heart and hearts that only you can save us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. Today's Bible reading will be coming from Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 31. So that's Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 31. I'll be reading from the new international version. And if you, haven't had a, if you don't have a Bible at the moment, feel free to put your hand up and people at the back will try and find you a Bible. So this is Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 31. Starting from verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him, Letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him in and brought him to the apostles. He told them how... Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them, and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Jerry. Please keep your Bibles open at Acts chapter 9 as we keep looking into God's Word today. Uh, I asked you to have a think about some impossible things. Um, uh, That's sort of a bit of a theme for today's sermon. I'd love for you to keep that in mind, but uh, let let me start by just uh, introducing you to a few uh, historical um, uh, characters. They're they're real people in history, and you might know some of them, some you might not know as well, but let me tell you about them. Um, Let's see if this works. Uh, The first person on right there, his name is Pol Pot. Uh, he's the leader, he was the leader of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, um, and he was a dictator there. And he, he actually killed about two million people. Uh, the person on the top there, his name is Joseph Stalin, a uh, Soviet leader. Uh, he actually, in his lifetime, they estimate, killed about nine million people. And I'm sure you all know the person on that bottom uh, corner picture, Adolf Hitler, uh, the leader of the Nazi party in Germany. Um, it's even hard to estimate that people estimate 12 to 16 million people were killed under his rule. My question for you is, when you hear about people like this, evil, evil people in history, um, do you think these people can be saved? Do you think these people can be forgiven? Or here's another question, do you think they deserve to be? Friends, When it comes to salvation, uh, we have certain views of who deserves to be saved, um, actually who can be saved, like how on earth would these people uh, ever change enough to like uh, say sorry, repent, you know, come back to God. When it comes to salvation, we've got these uh, preconceived mindsets in our head, but I think too often we think too small, and that's because I think our view of God is too small, it's not big enough. Today, I want you to come with me into the book of Acts. Today, as we witness an impossible conversion, you know, the, an impossible conversion, that's what happens today, and we behold the great God behind it, that's really what matters here, and it really matters that we look at God, that we behold God, that we see His work, so we can give Him the glory He deserves, all right, so that's what we're doing today, friends, um, but first, I want to give you a bit of context, this is our second half of the book of Acts that we're getting into. If you weren't here for our first half, that's okay. I'll get you a bit up to speed. Uh, Jesus, um, what happens is he's just risen from the dead. Um, before he ascends back into heaven to be with the Father, he gives uh, commission to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And he tells them that, you know, I'll give you, uh, pow- power will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come and you will be my witnesses. And here's the key line of Acts Acts 1 verse 8, this sets the agenda for the rest of the book. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as he talks, he gives them that little statement there that's actually describing that spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And that's what the whole book's about, the unstoppable progress of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as more people are saved and as the church grows Um, As we go through Acts, we see the gospel spreading. The church is booming, uh, but not all is perfect. As the church grows, what also ramps up is opposition, persecution. People start standing against the church. People start uh, persecuting Christians, throwing them into jail, even seeking to kill them. But ironically, even through that, the gospel spreads. Because as as the converts, the early Christian converts, they there persecuted. They start scattering all over the place. And as they scatter, what do they do? They take the gospel with them as well. This is God working. At the passage, just before today's passage in chapter 8, what we just saw is someone called Philip uh, baptizing a eunuch, an unlikely conversion. We see the gospel start going out to people uh, a eunuch from Ethiopia. The gospel is spreading. It's going out to people that normally you wouldn't expect it to go to, and that's where we pick up the passage today. And as you heard in the reading, the main there's one main character in this passage. Okay, one main character, and his name is Saul. Saul. So this is uh, just a art, historical artwork of what they thought Saul might have looked like. This passage focuses on a character named Saul. Who was he? Well, he was actually a Pharisee. Now. Um, Pharisees were a religious group uh, back then who were very zealous, really, really committed and passionate about following God's law. They were very passionate about following the 600 laws of the Torah, the Old Testament books of the law. But not only that, they were very passionate about following the teachings of all the rabbis around that time too, passed down through the generations, all the oral instructions that were given on top of that. So they formed this massive um, database, I don't know that's the right word to say, of laws and commands and things that you should follow because they thought this is how you showed your devo- devotion to God. This is what was important. And they were very, very strict on this. And they were seen in society as the most righteous of righteous, highly respected, the cream of the crop. And this is Saul. He wasn't just any Pharisee too. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. That is what it says. He was like the top dog here. He was likely, that means he was likely present to hear Uh, All the speeches of the apostles as, you know, the apostle Peter, we heard in early in Acts, was pulled before all the councils and was put on trial. Saul was probably there listening to all this stuff. But we actually see Saul explicitly mentioned in chapter 8. And what's he doing in chapter 8? Well, he's overseeing the execution of Stephen, one of the followers of Jesus Christ. This is the man that we're looking at today. And we're starting... At this point, the first point here, a transformative encounter. Have a look at verse 1 with me. Okay? Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So this guy. Excuse me. Yeah, this guy, um, he lives and breathes persecuting Christians. His only desire is to see Christians uh, locked up. Did you see what it says? Uh, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Every breath is focused on this. Why is he so focused on this? Well, as a Pharisee, as I said before, Saul really cares about keeping the law, okay? Uh, this is how he you showed your devotion to God, this system of worship, you know, keeping the law, the commands. This is how the Jewish people has been living for centuries, So you can imagine how Saul felt, think about this, when some random troublemaker from Galilee called Jesus comes onto the scene and he starts saying things like this. He starts saying this. Worship is no longer about ceremonies and sacrifices and the temple. Worship is through me. He says, you worship through trying to desperately keep all the laws, but I have come to fulfill all the laws. And one of my favorite verses as Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, John 5, verse 39. Love this verse. Look at this. He's rebuking the Pharisees. You study the scriptures diligently. That's what they did. They studied the Old Testament. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. What blasphemy? That's what Saul is thinking. This blasphemous revolutionary. How dare he say these things? He's threatening everything. He comes claiming the authority of God. He threatens to overturn the entire system of religion and worship that the Jewish people were used to, that their life was built on, because he starts saying, it's not about the law. Come to me, and you will have life. And this is the message that even after Jesus is gone, that his followers are spreading everywhere they go. That's what they're saying. So Saul, he will do anything he can to stop that message going out to stop it spreading. So with a letter of approval from head office, he heads to Damascus to hunt Christians. But things don't go according to plan as we saw in the narrative. Suddenly on his way to Damascus a light shines around him and Saul falls down to the ground and he's he's blinded by this great light and he hears a voice saying "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And he replies, who are you, Lord? The voice replies, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. On the road to Damascus, Saul encounters Jesus in a big way. And note what Jesus says. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? There's no account of Saul ever persecuting Jesus directly, or even meeting Jesus, actually, but it's clear that Saul has been attacking Christians, has been attacking the church. What Jesus is saying is this, when you persecute my church, you are persecuting me. Jesus is saying, when you attack my people, you attack me. This reminds us of something, the church is the body of Christ, so precious to him. What Jesus says here, Reminds us of the intimate bond believers have with him. He feels our suffering. We are his body. But it also tells us that he is with us in our suffering. What a comfort to know that this is our God, that we are in Christ. Saul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, it leaves him a changed man. His traveling companions, they pick him up from the ground. He's blind, so they lead him by hand forward into Damascus. And in verse 9, it says, "...for three days he was blind." and did not eat or drink anything. What's happened to Saul is that he's been humbled, hasn't he? This is the man that is used to having power, highly respected, influential, powerful, throwing people into jail at a whim, but now he's brought to nothing, broken. It's actually a really pitiful picture. Think about this, Saul is being led, this is a Pharisee, he's being led by the hand like some small child because he can't even go anywhere by himself. What God is teaching him is a lesson. You are not God. I am. Saul doesn't eat or drink anything for three days. That suggests that he was fasting. Later on in the passage, it tells us he was deep in prayer. He's been humbled. He's got nothing left but to depend on God. Saul's been broken down so God can rebuild him for his purposes. And isn't that what God does so often in our lives too? But what's God's plan for Saul? Uh, What happens next is that Jesus appears in a vision to a man called Ananias, who's in Damascus as well, so one of the uh, Christians in Damascus, and he's told to go and visit Saul um, and lay his hands on him and bring him sight. But this is how Ananias replies. Have a look at verse 13 with me. Have a look in your Bibles, verse 13. Lord... Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Understandably, Ananias is a bit reluctant when he's asked to go seesaw. To, paraphr- to paraphrase, he replies uh, to Jesus who appears to him in a vision, this guy is a psycho. He's killing us. And you want me to go visit him? Actually, you want me to go help him? It's outrageous, really. You can understand Ananias' response. It'll be, it'll be like getting told as a Jewish person to go give Adolf Hitler a helping hand. Go on, go help him. You would not only fear for your life, but it would probably be the last thing that you would want to do. Someone who's intent on killing every single person in your group. But Jesus replies to Ananias with this. Have a look at verse 15 with me. Verse 15. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And this verse will assess the trajectory of the rest of Saul's life. Jesus has selected Saul specifically for an intended purpose, like a surgeon carefully picking the right implement for a specific operation. Saul is his chosen instrument, and Saul's purpose will be that through him, Jesus' name will be proclaimed, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, their kings, everyone. Friends, in the timeline of history, we're on the cusp of salvation going to all nations, not just Jews. That's what Gentile means, not just Jews. We've seen it. was are spreading from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And Saul will be at the center of this work. Actually, the rest of the book of Acts, almost all the 19 chapters to follow, centers on how God works through him. It's incredible. To plant churches all over the place. To stand before the courts proclaiming Jesus, even as people try and crush him. He will write letters guided by the Holy Spirit that will become holy scriptures for us. Ephesians, Colossians, Timothy, Thessalonians, Corinthians, Saul, the persecutor, will become Paul the apostle. That's his future. And it all starts right here. Ananias goes, he lays his hands on Saul. Saul receives the Holy Spirit, that key conversion mark of Acts, and he regains his sight, and then he rises and is baptized. It's a picture of new birth. This is transformation. So, friends, let's pause and think. What changed Saul? What changed Saul? Well, it's the fact that he met Jesus. Encountering Jesus is what transforms our lives. Let me say that again? Encountering Jesus is what transforms our lives. And when I say this, I mean the real Jesus. Because Saul, he knew about Jesus, He had some sort of intellectual understanding about Jesus. He had a picture of Jesus in his head, but it wasn't the real Jesus, was it, that Saul knew? The Jesus in his head was some random man with some dangerous ideas that needed to stop. But the real Jesus, well, Saul met him on the road to Damascus. The one that every Jew has been waiting for, for centuries. The one who is the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one, the king. That's what Messiah means. The one who dies on the cross, but rises again in victory over sin and death. The one who's risen, now exalted in glory. The one who's crowned King of kings, Lord of lords. This is the Jesus that Saul met on the road to Damascus. And meeting this Jesus, well, it changes everything. Because encountering Jesus is what transforms our lives. Encountering the real Jesus. And that's as much true for us as it is for Saul. Now, what happened to Saul was a special case. Um, this is Saul's commissioning as a new messenger of God, an apostle to the Gentiles. That's not us, friends. When We don't have a specific role like Saul. Uh, Jesus doesn't appear like this to anyone else after he's ascended. But friends, we don't need to wait for a special revelation like this. Let me tell you. We can meet Jesus. We can meet him right now. And we do so every time we open up his precious word to us. The word of God. Because as you open up your Bibles, what happens? We hear Jesus speak to us. We behold who he is. Not just in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but also in the letters, the epistles, because Jesus actually entrusts his words to his apostles after him to record for us. But also the Old Testament, like Jesus himself said, when you look at them, they are all pointing to him. It's all about Jesus. This is not just a book that you hold in your hands, friends. This is how you meet Jesus Christ. This is God's revelation to us. This is where you meet the real Jesus. I wonder if you realize that. Maybe you've got a picture of Jesus. You're here today. Maybe you're not a believer here today, and so great you're here to. Uh, listen and learn and see Jesus who he is maybe you've got a picture of Jesus in your in your head and it's something like this maybe he's a good moral teacher maybe he's just some crazy revolutionary guy maybe he's a nice example for us to follow but that's not the real Jesus friends we need to see the real Jesus meeting the real Jesus will transform your lives I'm utterly convinced of this And he's inviting you to meet him today. All you need to do is open up the Bible and see him in the word. Friends, we've got Bibles at the back to give you, all right? If you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible from the back. Take it home. Write down your connect cards. Let us know if we can help you walk through with you and read the Bible with you and help you see Jesus Christ. Because encountering Jesus is what transforms our lives and that's what we want most of all here at CPE Church. We'd love to help you do that. Transformation comes as we meet Jesus through his words. Let's see what this looks like for Saul and we're our next point, a transformed life. We'll pick up from uh, second half of verse 19. Have a look with me in your Bibles. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. You'll notice in verse 20, it says, at once, he began to preach. At once, this word means immediately, no delay. This was the first thing he did. This was his response. Meet Jesus, preach Jesus. Um... It says he went to the synagogues preaching Jesus, Jesus is the son of God. Verse 22, it says he baffled the Jews in the Massive by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Both these titles point to the fact that Jesus is the risen king. That's what he's telling people everywhere he goes. This man, just a little while ago, he wanted to kill people who were saying this message. Now he can't shut up about it. Something has changed. This is transformation. No wonder in verse 21 it says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them prisoners? This is what true conversion is it's total transformation. But this preaching, it draws some unwelcome attention. Have a look at verse 23. Verse 23. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Well, that didn't take long, did it? Saul used to be the Jewish hero, defending their religion. Now, they're out to kill him, after a few days, because he's met Jesus, and he's proclaiming Jesus. The next few verses describe one of the best escapes in the Bible. I don't know if you noticed when we read it. Um, The Jews are actually guarding the gates to the city, uh, so Saul can't get out. So what's his disciples do? They put him in a basket and they lower him down the walls of the city how good's that like a fruit basket that they used to bring fruit up and down the walls and Saul escapes how good that's some um, 007 stuff right there now despite the comical nature of this escape we shouldn't let us that shouldn't let us distract us from the reason Saul had to escape in the first place because people in the city were trying to murder him <laughs> why simply because he was preaching Jesus. You think this might have mellowed out his initial evangelistic enthusiasm, but it didn't. Have a look at verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus the disciples in Jerusalem are scared of Saul. This this man, you know, they, he, he gets brought to the Jerusalem council probably, the apostles there, the other disciples, um, but they're scared of him. They don't want him near him because this man has overseen the murder of one of their friends. And his conversion, is it simply a scheme maybe to get them? Maybe he just wants to infiltrate and try and, you know, destroy the rest of the church. Well, thankfully, Barnabas... Um, we actually met him back in Acts 4. I don't know if you remember. He was the guy that actually sold his land and he brought all the prophets to the church and gave it to the church. Yeah? Um, he, all of it. Yeah? Um, he vouches for Saul, Barnabas. And the disciples then accept Saul. And what's the first thing Saul does? Have a look at verse 8. First thing after he gets to Jerusalem, sees the disciples. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Here he goes again. Here he goes again. Meet Jesus, preach Jesus. He can't shut up about him, and he does so boldly, fearlessly, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But once again, we see opposition. Verse 29. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. The Hellenistic Jews were Greek-speaking Jews. And they too once Saul dead. Now, friends, just imagine this. Imagine if every city you travel to, you know, you're here in Brisbane, maybe you want to travel down to Sydney, Melbourne, um, you know, have a visit. But imagine if every city that you travel to, there was people waiting there who wanted to murder you everywhere you went. People who used to be your friends. That's what Saul's situation was. He was undergoing persecution. He was suffering for Christ. He's learning the cost of following Jesus. And this pattern of preaching Jesus, suffering for Jesus, preaching Jesus, suffering for Jesus, shouldn't surprise us because this was Paul's commission, wasn't it? Remember verse 15? Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Preaching and suffering. Preaching and suffering. But in a sense, this isn't just a pattern set for Paul. It's ours too, isn't it? Friends, let me remind you, don't be surprised by suffering when it comes into your life. I'm not saying to celebrate it, but I'm saying don't be surprised by it. Because guess what? We walk in the footsteps of a suffering saviour. If they hated Jesus... Of course they will hate us also. And we speak the words of the gospel. You know, as we do that, it will bring opposition from God's enemies. People aren't going to like that. But hold your head up high, knowing that we follow in the footsteps of our Savior, of our King Jesus. Don't be surprised by suffering. That's part part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus and speak Jesus. People will be offended by the gospel. But keep going. Persevere knowing this is what we are called to by our Savior. As we finish this passage, a great encouraging verse marks the progress of the church. Uh, Verse 31, have a look at verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Throughout Acts, we see these little verses that just remind us about what God's doing. How good is this? There was a time of peace. The church was strong. They were living in the field of the Lord and encouraged by the Spirit, and it was just growing and growing. The gospel, it's unstoppable. The unstoppable gospel is continuing to change lives. And as we um, finish, up, I want to I draw things together in my final point here. Yeah? If this works. Next slide, please, boys, if I could. Yeah, sorry. How God works, all right? Now I just want to draw out a few points from our passage today. Well, the first thing is this, God saves those that seem impossible to save. Saul's conversion is what I'd call an impossible conversion. No one in their right mind would have looked at Saul and said, yeah, this guy's going to be a Christian. I can see it. I can feel it. You know, you got some of your friends who um, might not know Jesus yet, but, you know, you could see that, you know, it wouldn't take too much. They're really nice, uh, really nice people um, they've quite opened to spirituality. And he said, yeah, yeah, I could see them becoming a Christian. Uh, that's not Saul. Saul breathed murder. That's what it says. Saul breathed murder against God. I don't even know what that means. It breathed, every, like every breath of his was about murdering Christians. This man's heart was so against Jesus that back in chapter 8, he calmly watched as Stephen, one of the Christians, was crushed to death by rocks in front of him. He watched that. And then he approved He nodded and said, yeah, that was good. I remember back in 2015, crystal clear in my head. Some of you guys were probably too young to remember this. Uh, Something that was so shocking, I just can't get out of my head. Um, It was a story breaking of ISIS, uh, aka the Islamic State. Uh, They had captured a group of Egyptian Christians. Uh, And what happened is they published a five-minute video. Uh, It was shot on a beach on the Mediterranean coast. And what they did is they... They got 13. These 13 Egyptian Christians dressed in orange jumpsuits, um, and they they were all dressed in black. They stood behind the, behind them on the beach, and they gave a speech against followers of Jesus, the people of the cross. That's what they said. It was a warning. It was like you know don't you know uh, you can't win. Essentially, that was the speech they gave. And then they cut off the heads of every single one of those Christians. If Saul was there, he would have nodded in approval. How can this man be saved? How can men like the ISIS executors be saved? How can people who are so evil, so far gone, ever be forgiven, ever be changed, ever be saved? Well, friends, we've got to remember, salvation comes by God's power as people meet Jesus. It's possible. God works powerfully through the words of the gospel to bring about transformation so immense that even the hardest, most evil hearts can turn to Him. God works through the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that's what it tells us, that same Spirit can raise sinful dead hearts back to life. No one, no one is too far gone for the power of God to bring them repentance and faith, not even the most evil of people, we see this in action with Saul. The question is, do you believe this to be true? I don't know about you, but I've got people in my life who I, I would deem impossible to save. Maybe they're not to the extent of the evil of people I've been telling you before, but you know, people who are just hostile, not they're not just indifferent to the gospel, people who are against the gospel. I don't know if you have people like that in your lives. Um, People who think I'm a brainwashed waste of potential because of what I've chosen to do. People who are openly against me, who ridicule Jesus and his church every time they can. I've got people like that in my life. Maybe you've got someone like that in your life. Or maybe for you, it's just someone who, despite you asking them over and over and over again, they just don't care. They just do not seem interested in church They just want nothing to do with this stuff, you know. They're not rude about it. Maybe they're just like, just you know, don't talk to me about this anymore. It's cool. You can do, you can do you. I'll do me. Maybe you've got people like that in your life, and you've just given up. Friends, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying, 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 because it's not up to us to change their hearts. It's God. God's the only one that can do that. And he can do it. We've seen that with Saul today. Even someone as unlikely as this evil persecutor of the church, he can be saved. So God can save your friends too. He can save that family member who just is so far away. He can save that friend who just doesn't want anything to do. With Jesus, God can do that. God is the God who can do the impossible, friends. The gospel is the power to save and people encounter Jesus as the Holy Spirit brings the words of the gospel to impact their hearts and change their hearts. It's not up to you to have the perfect presentation or the perfect argument or, you know, that it's, a, it's God's work in their hearts, friends. And isn't that a comfort? Because it means we can trust in him, depend on him, lean on him and just keep praying, praying, praying and praying. Don't give up. Don't give up. God saves those that seem impossible to save. But not only that, God saves those that don't deserve it. If you look at Saul's track record, you'll not only say this guy is too far gone, too evil to save, you'd say he doesn't deserve it. I think that's partially why Ananias didn't go to him. He didn't want to see this guy saved, right? Why on earth would God save an enemy of his, someone who's so utterly evil, why would God save someone who doesn't deserve it? Why would God actually show love and mercy and forgiveness to this guy whose sole mission in life is to destroy his people? Why would God do that? Well, because God is gracious, and God is merciful, and God is loving. That's who our God is. The good news of the gospel is that it's not that he saves those who deserve it, but those who don't. That's why it's good news. Jesus Christ himself said this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Brothers and sisters, salvation is not a wage that we earn. It's a gift, freely given. Saul, an enemy of God, he didn't deserve salvation. You're right, he didn't. But we don't deserve it either, do we? One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I know I say that a lot, my favorite verses, like every verse. <laughs> um, one of my favorite verses, Romans 5, verse 8, it's true. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How good is this verse? While we were still sinners. When did Christ die for us? When we were good? When we were lovely? when we were obedient, when we were holy, is that when Christ died for us? No. It's while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. While we were his enemies, hating him, treating him like nothing, setting ourselves against him. That's what sin is, you know, not just occasional bad behavior, but being on the opposing side of God. That's when he died for us. When we were rebelling against him, fighting against him. What we actually deserve was that God should just destroy us, crush us, punish us, but instead he crushed his son. He poured out his anger on Jesus Christ. The anger meant for us. In our King Jesus, he willingly suffered in our place so that we, the undeserving, can be saved. Friends, our God is a gracious, merciful, loving God. If you haven't yet come to him, he's waiting with open arms for you. He's waiting. He wants to forgive. It doesn't matter what you've done, maybe what you haven't done, how much of a failure you think you are. He knows you and he loves you nonetheless. We'd love to help you meet Jesus here yeah? and be friends with God again. Please let us know on the connect cards later on if we can help you with that or come chat to me. You know, have a chat to one of the leaders here. We'll love to help you if you are a Christian, I'd ask you to just stop and um just be thankful. It's easy for me to say, I know personally, I'm not a bad person, I'm not a soul, <laughs> yeah I don't kill anyone yeah this yeah, I'm not evil, but I know that rotten heart that lives in me, that selfish, sinful heart. I know if I look deep down the things I'm capable of, if left to my own devices. But God, in his grace and mercy and love, has saved me. And he's also saved you if you've come to Jesus. Not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. Now, if that truth doesn't cause you to be thankful, I don't know what will. (laughs) What a gift we have. God saves those who seem impossible to save. He saves those who don't deserve it. Praise God for who he is. Let me finish with the story. Um, I'm not sure you guys know who this is. Uh, recently, a show's been released on the life of this guy, actually. His, his name is uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. He's a serial killer. Uh, he was convicted of 15 murders, sentenced to multiple lifetimes in prison. I won't go into details about what he did to his victims. One part of this story that isn't told as much, though, is that a pastor named Roy Ratcliffe visited him in prison and shared the gospel with him over and over as he's serving these life sentences. Now, Jeffrey Dahmer understandably um, rejected the gospel, and his big issue was that he just couldn't get this concept of grace. Yeah, he couldn't grasp it. How could he be forgiven? You know, someone who's done as much evil as he had. How could, how could that be possible? But in a 1994 interview, Dahmer said this, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he was baptized in prison, a serial killer. His conversion story, I don't don't know how you feel when I tell you that. His conversion story, though, was, um, maybe this is how you feel. It was met with a lot of skepticism, even outrage. I mean, think about it. Do Do we even want someone like Jeffrey Dahmer in heaven? And I get that. It's like out of Hitler, repenting at the last minute, and then getting to share in heaven's glory, right? He doesn't deserve it. What's a guy like him doing getting salvation? He doesn't deserve it, and that's true. He doesn't, but neither did Saul, and neither do we. But God saves those who seem impossible to save, and he saves those who don't deserve it. And one day, one day, we we will be singing in heaven to the glory of God together, side by side, declaring, God, you are so good. And in the end, That is what really matters. Because God alone, he deserves the glory. He is the one that saves, and he can do the impossible. Friends, let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you can save even the worst of sinners. We thank you that by the power of the gospel, by the change of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, by you... Showing us, Jesus, that we can be transformed, that we don't have to be resigned to a life of sin and death and living apart from you, but that we can have life. And we just give you thanks that you've shown us this gift, even when we haven't deserved it, when we've been against you, but by your grace and mercy, you've chosen to bless us with the gospel. Friend, uh, we That we can help our friends and family as well to know Jesus, trusting that you are the one at work, not us. Help us to depend on you, help us to know that you can do the impossible. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Friends, we're going to keep reflecting on the cross in a time of communion as we remember the cross.